had I stopped at the first two, three, four, five, or 10 no's, you know, and I'm not even talking about no to, to my work on the audition. I'm talking about people saying no to me to even get an audition. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, can a brother just stick a toe in the door? <laughs> like, no, we don't want you. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. I want to say thank you right off the bat for everybody who has been so supportive of the book. It came out recently and the early reports are that it is doing well and people are digging it. So thank you so much. Spread the word. If you are one of those people that's reading it, I really appreciate it. For those of you that don't know, it's called 10,000 No's, How to Overcome Rejection on the Way to Your Yes. My guest today is actor Aldous Hodge. Aldous is best known for his portrayal of Alec Hardison on the TNT series Leverage, MC Wren in the 2015 biopic Straight Outta Compton, Levi Jackson in the 2016 film Hidden Figures, and as Noah in the WGN America series Underground. I know Aldous because he is the lead alongside Kevin Bacon on the show that I am shooting currently, City on a Hill, on Showtime. Honestly, I could go on and on about him. He had box office success with The Invisible Man recently. He got critical acclaim for Clemency, which we talk about in depth. His recent film, One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King, is getting early Oscar buzz. It was announced that he is going to be Hawkman opposite The Rock in Black Adam, which is going to be filmed next year. He is doing all of this, and on top of it, he has a passion for horology. Just incredible entrepreneurial skills, writing skills. He kind of is, uh, he's a real renaissance man. Uh, I think you're going to love what he has to say. He has overcome much in his life and he is not just standing, he is thriving right now. So many lessons from him for you guys to learn from. I want to mention something. You are about to hear the classic 10,000 No's interview where we talk to Aldis and get his origin story, his journey as an actor. But when he came to sit down with me, one of the first questions I had was, what are some of the biggest no's that you've had? And that led us to a conversation that turned out to be a standalone conversation uh, in in my opinion, and that's how we will release it next week. It was a conversation about race in America, race in our industry, and it felt more right to give you that separately next week. But I wanted you to have Aldous's story and to get to know him this week in more of the classic format that you've come to know from the show. So I hope you enjoy this. I'm really excited. And I'm really proud to give you Aldous Hodge. Mm. Right now, this particular moment where I'm catching you, 
Mm-hmm. You're really, you, you have some films that you, you've kind of hit commercial success, mm-hmm. critical acclaim. Uh, you've got this big superhero movie coming out, DC Universe. You're going to be mm-hmm. there. You are in a real pocket in my opinion, of your career right now. I mean, it's got to be just, it's like... Wait, hold on. We recording yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Recording cool, right cool. now, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so, let's not lose the yeah, juice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, you're, you're in one of those, it's, it's like Star Wars when, you know, they're in the, the Millennium Falcon and all of a sudden, like, it's, they go into warp speed until, you know, like the, the stars are going by. That's what it feels like from the outside, what you're mm-hmm. in right now, which I'm sure is really exciting. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's overwhelming on some, you know, there's time management yeah. issues and everything. And then, and then like the big one that I was laughing at is like, you're going to go play a superhero opposite the rock like <laughs> what, what does that do for you in terms of like your your workouts are you like oh crap i got i cannot be you know no, does, uh, does it feel like you have to step it up all of a well, sudden yeah we can definitely talk about the workouts i mean for me you know i like to surround myself with teachers in any capacity of work that i'm in so to have this kind of opportunity is crazy because it's like i'm forced to actually discipline myself in a whole new way and i'm forced to definitely when it comes to workout regimen got to push myself past and the other day i was at the gym i was with art and i was looking on instagram rocket posted up a new video of him in the gym and i was just looking i was like this dude is massive and he's like <laughs> literally like chiseled everywhere i was like god dang i gotta step it up bro well, that, <laughs> that's what i felt like, I felt like i'm slagging when <laughs> I, was, I was watching season one of city on a hill yeah. and i'm like i feel like you know i'm like i'm in okay shape and then yeah. you had you had something i didn't even know what part of the season it was but all of a sudden you took your shirt off i'm like oh come on man so, you gotta look like i'm like you're you're so, <laughs> you look jacked i'm like on top of all the talent you gotta look like that well come on. so we did city when we did the pilot for city that was right after my uh uh that was right after i did brian banks i got up to like i averaged like 215 i was 220 on some days 217 to whatever but you know weight was fluctuating throughout shooting my average daily walk around weight was 215 and i was working with brian himself so he was giving me his football workouts all that and uh he still trains me for other stuff here and there, and he might even train me for, for, uh, for this film. But he, you know, we had like a month and a half to get that in, so it was just literally constantly eating all day and then working out two, three hours, and that's all for coming off of like a twelve-hour shoot day, right? Um, so I was jacked, and then when we did the pilot, I was still in the same shape. So when we came to the season a whole year later. Was it a year? Yeah, it was like a year later. I had to get back into uh, shape. So I was trying to get myself back in. Yeah, it's full. <laughs> so I've basically been putting myself through this torture for the last, uh, when did we do the pilot? 2017? Uh, yeah, you guys like did that. the pilot yeah. a long time ago. Oh, we shot Banks and it's either 16 or 17, one of those. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's been every year fluctuating with getting in the gym. But this quarantine shut me down because the gyms weren't open. So now it's starting all over and my body's like, bro, I hate you. Yeah. It's really that. Much. Were you doing stuff on your own, just like like yeah. uh, body weight stuff over quarantine and all that? No, nah, I mean, quarantine, I shut it all down. I mean, my first couple of weeks, I was uh, a bit lost because, you know, you just go from, we you know, in the middle of shooting the show to just stagnant, just stop, everything stops. Yeah. And 
I was on my couch for the first couple of weeks because I like being active. When I'm not active or have anywhere to go, I am in my mind uh, just stagnated. And, you know, it's, it's not like you can you're at home and you can go have coffee with the homies or whatever. You're in your place <laughs> the yeah. whole time yeah. and looking at these walls like I hate it. I hate it here. But um, after that, I got off my butt, started getting to the things that I wanted to do, which was initiating a whole bunch of other projects. Um, back to work on my, my my horology company. I redesigned an entirely new collection, which I finally initiated manufacturing on. So we've already started. Uh, but my mind was not so much on the body. It was more on the, um, the professional and the mental work, you know, and then just taking a minute to assess where I was at with myself. So I kind of kind of lost sight of the body. You yeah. know, I got to be in a gym to be motivated, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you fully believe that if someone came, if I came to you, the, the, you know, 10 years minus, the 24-year-old mm-hmm. Aldis, and I was like, listen, you're going to be doing a movie with The Rock, and you're going to be on the show on Showtime, and you're mm-hmm. going to be, would you have been like, yep, absolutely? Or would you have been like, I'm, that's what I'm working toward. But th- does it feel right now, like, are you aware of... Um, do, do you feel like like has your mind grown in in the confidence and the and the faith that anything is possible? Would you say the faith has gotten stronger now, or it was already just as strong? It was for you, you um, know, like where where are you on? I'm that somewhere um, to your, to your earlier point about whether I would be if I would have answered, yep, absolutely, or I'm working towards. Most likely, I would have said I'm working towards. Yeah, <laughs> I would have had sort of a feeling settled in between the two um, answers. I feel more faith and and assurance and confidence in my career now, but I know the work has to be done. I'm just, I'm elated in in an inconceivable way when it comes to being a part of Black Adam. I'm so grateful. And at the same time, I know there's still a lot of work yet to be done, so I'm not comfortable yet. Yeah. I'm not like, ah, oh, you know, I well, got no, this. I saw your thing I got on it. Instagram. Yeah. I loved it. You the know, other day like, you had like all of the, all the comic books. And when God, I asked yeah. you about sitting down with me, you're like, I got a lot of work. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know like, you I do. I got this work to do. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So you know, there's a responsibility. That, that's yeah. what I tell people a lot on this show is like, look, you think you get everybody we've talked to, yeah. you think, oh, when I get there, it'll be gravy. Sure. You have a bigger uh, so, bank account than yeah. you did 10 years ago, but it's almost You, you got a bigger work. bank account, but you also got bigger taxes. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I pay my taxes. Yeah. And you have more work to do because <laughs> work now to, exactly. you have to, now you're like, oh, I'm on the- it, Oh, you know. brother, I'll tell you, look, you have to want the work. Ashton Kutcher said this in like a, a I don't know, it's like an MTV movie award speech or something like that. Um he he said something to the effect of the success is the work. When you're asking for success, you're actually asking for work, which is true. It's absolutely true because people think it's easy, but they don't understand the people that that are at these very high levels are constantly working, constantly pushing and constantly seeking evolution. And that is the goal because life doesn't stop at point checkpoint A, B or C. Right. The goal is, OK, I'm going to work up to get here and figure out what's next after that. Right. I used to have time limit goals of, hey, I can't wait to do this. I'm going to do it. But when I got those, when I started meeting those goals, it was going over my head. I didn't even notice that, you know, I want to be on a TV series, you know, and, you know, I was, uh, I was fired from a couple of shows, not for unprofessionalism or a lack of talent, just politics. But 
um, that taught me, it reshaped my mind for certain things. And then when I got on a TV show and I realized, oh, this is not satisfying. It was good momentarily, but I realized that it wasn't the career. It was the job that would be a step to the next step to the next step, right? So I was really happy when I was on a, a my, I think my first, the first series that I had, not the first series that I booked, but the first series that I, that actually went for me was Leverage when I was 21. And that was that those five years on that show taught me that there's still so much more work to do because I was having pitch meetings. I was trying to write, you know, I was trying to do all that, like in between seasons, the hiatus, I was trying to be a staff writer and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was not it was a, the, the step that's building an audience. Right. And we built a fantastic audience with follows today, which is why we still are now in production on leverage 2.0, which I is heard. incredible. Congrats. You know? yeah. So thank you. Thank you, man. So is that me, just a mini series or is that like, it's no, that's a back? series, man. It's back. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so, you know, uh, bro, I'm talking about blessings on blessings. I, I can't be more grateful than I am in this life, but I know that it's still so much more work. Um, you know, I've joined as a producer this year on city on the hill and then there's the risk producer responsibilities when it comes to, you know, casting and combing through episodes and dailies and things like that. And for me, that's the work that I'm asking for because it's training me for the next stage. So I'm so grateful that I was allowed to join the team in that way because this is school for me, man. You know, uh, when it comes to, to something as huge as, as, as Black Adam, that's nothing but training. You know what I'm saying? Nothing but like, all right, cool. This is preparing me for something major. And for this to be my entry into the world. I mean, look, I grew up on graphic novels and comic books. Love it. Love it to the day. Most people know the story about me as a kid being like first job. Mom got me a Batman toy. And it was like, that's I'm doing it for the Batman toys. You know, and I did. So to be in D.C. and also at the same time, you know, co-producing a show with Ben, who's Batman. That's it's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. this is crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. You know, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, That's you called know, manifesting. The manifestation. <laughs> uh, but for me, like, so, so The Rock posted our conversation from when he called me about Tell me that I got the job. I have not heard it, but I read about <laughs> it. I got to go listen to it. Yeah. If you read I heard the post, you said, DJ it's, or something it's, like that. it's absolutely true. But what, uh, what, what he didn't realize in the moment was he wasn't telling me that I just got a job, right? He was confirming all the years of, of work that I put in to get to that point because I've always wanted to be in this world in some capacity and to be in the world in this way is major. But the moment he said, welcome to black Adam, my mind, it like shut down for a minute because I was like, wow, this is real. All those years of doubts and granted, look, you know, I, I'd been trying to get in the superhero world for like 13 or 15 years. Right. There have been embarrassing moments of trying to beg for auditions, beg for roles, trying to chase things that didn't happen. You know, everybody wants to be it's 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 not an easy world to be a part of, you know. So um, it made all those moments so much more valid. And I understood it because I said, oh, that wasn't my time. then. This is my time. So I tell people, if you're working for something, if it's in your heart, it's coming. Have the faith. Keep putting in the work. Keep growing. Keep excelling. Keep hustling. Because had I 
stopped at the first two, three, four, five, or 10 no's, you know, and I'm not even talking about no to, to my work on the audition. I'm talking about people saying no to me to even get an audition. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, can a brother just stick a toe in the door? Like, no, we don't want you. Um, and, and for, for me, it was like, you got to keep doing the work. Had I stopped then and just like, you know, well, forget it, you know, and pride gets in the way, it's never going to happen. Then you, you, you don't know where you're cutting yourself off from. You have to believe in what's meant for you and what's right for you, but you don't know what it looks like. You, you, you may not, you may never know what it looks like, but you may know just the essence of what is and what's, what's meant for you. So for me, it was full, it, it was full firmament and, uh, uh, I mean, full, full, um, validation of the, the, the work that I had put in and, and it was fully sort of reaffirming for me the true notion of trust and faith and manifestation, but it's all work. You know, you got to put in, you got to be a consummate student. The moment that your art begins to die is the moment you feel it, feel like, you know, everything. So when you come to the table and you're like, well, I'm good. I got it. Mm, nah. Yeah. Everybody in the world can still learn something. Everybody who's a top leading professional can still learn something to become even better at what they're doing. So, um, you know, for me, I have never felt a moment like that ever in my career when he said, welcome to Blackout. You know, I think I think something that got close was maybe when so leverage. When when. I had my mom, I think I was, I had my mom on the phone and told her we got picked up, you know? And this is the first time I was actually, cause I had been a part of shows before, but you know, either get canceled or I got removed or replaced by an actor or something like that. So I was like, yo, we're actually going I'm really about to do a season of a TV show it was huge, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, the, I, I guess that moment with, with black Adam, you know, was, the reason I was excited was because I know how much work it's going to take. And that's what I want. I want to put in the time. I want to create this character. I, I know what it's going to mean to fans. I want to get it right for the fans. That's really most important to me. Um, I'm looking forward to working with our team. Our director's incredible. You know, the whole cast is incredible. Uh, you know, I got Sarah Shahi, who did the I first season that. of City on the Hill. Uh, and then I saw our cast. Was I was like, show. She was on 10,000. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Great, yeah. yeah, I was like, "Oh, what's up?" I so, texted her when I saw that. I was like, yes. "Yeah." I hit her. I was like, "So I know you can't say nothing, but uh, apparently the word is <laughs> she ain't say nothing." Of course, but afterwards, yeah. So that's really cool, man. But but again, it's like I'm presented with a great opportunity to work, and that's um, that's what I care most about. Matt. You just talked about you want to um, represent. You're going to go create this character. So I just watched Clemency. Ah, yeah. And I know something, this is a quote from you. A good actor is one who understands honesty. Make sure it comes from a place of honesty. Mm. Um, You also talked about- I said that? Damn. All right. Sounded good. I'm good. Sounded good. Sounded kind of good. That was good. People quote you back. Yeah. I hope that was a good quote. (laughs) Uh, And and someone asked you about your work on Clemency. And Mm -hmm. and look, you have a lot that we could talk about. I want to zero in on that. Let's do it. And people that are listening can, can, one, I want that film to get seen. 
Thank you. I had Richard Schiff on this show. He oh, talked Richard's about it. Richard's awesome, man. I'll maybe I'll play if there's time in this episode. Yeah. I'll play a clip from what he said about why he signed on for that movie because they're the filmmakers' hearts were in the right place. Yeah, you they were. guys were great together. Thank you. Um, you you said you know the work was speaking to the director whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> Chinoya Chuku. Chinoya Chuku. Yeah, Chinoya. Okay, yeah, I, I Chinoya saw it and I was like, oh, I, I can't even I'll butcher <laughs> that. Um, she worked in prisons for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Then you went to San Quentin. You talked to guys that were on death row. She yep. gave you a book to read. I am Troy Davis. You yep. read that. You you created. So I'm assuming Anthony Woods, the character you played, was maybe loosely based or maybe it was a composite of Troy mm. Davis and other people. Yeah. Here's what I was Here's what I was struck by with this this performance. I had heard about it for a while. Mm. When I met you, I was like, I got to see that film. And I just never saw it. Mm. Finally, luckily, because we're sitting down, I was like, I got to see this yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And And, and what, what I was really struck with in your performance was... There are the first couple of scenes that you're in and then many scenes thereafter, you have you have no dialogue, no mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those one. It made me think like, huh, when he got that script, did other actors look at that script and kind of not realize the like how much they could flesh out that character who's the whole movie is really about him and Alfred mm-hmm. Woodard, who's incredible as well um but but what you did with that with your inner life what you did with with no words um it's something i've noticed of you on city on a hill is this ability to have uh stillness and patience as an actor i think Mm. you have where i don't get you're not looking to perform you have a certain patience that brings the camera to you and it captures you. And I felt like this movie was, it, it was a great display of that for any actors that are listening. You know, if you do the work, the inner work, the camera's going to catch it. Right. And there is a question in here somewhere. No. What, what was, what was your experience in doing that? I mean, I, I would imagine that that role has stuck with you. It's so intense. Mm-hmm. And just to give people just the gist of it, that you're on death row, you're, you're yeah. going to be executed. And uh, yeah, he's fighting for clemency the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did that stick with you more than other roles? It just, it felt to me very personal. <laughs> I tried to uh, practice being able to shave off the character. I, I keep a distance. I keep a space where I tap in, I tune in to do the work and then, you know, I can step outside and observe my choices so I can um, improve them. Uh, I sort of want to expound upon them just because that's where the selfish nature of my uh, work is rooted in how do I get better and better. I want to do a, a job so cold that when I watch it, I don't know who I am. I don't see myself, right? Um, when I read the script, uh, it it hits so many different things. But first off, you know, Shinoya wrote such a beautifully executed script. No character was wasted. No scene or line was wasted. And like I said, I want to surround myself with teachers. So this was a grand opportunity to execute emotional intelligence as an actor in a completely different way. 
the thing that sticks with me is the work that I was able to do here. I want to be able to do that level of work and give that depth of, of brevity to every single character that I play going forward because the work I was allowed to do, I was given the opportunity to do was just like you said, how do you have a conversation with people without actually saying words? How do I express this man's anguish and his hopes and his faith and his beliefs and his pain with saying very little? And you don't have to say much to be much, right? Um, the scenes with Richard Schiff, you know, so endearing because at the end of the day, he's Anthony, his character, Marty, was my character's lawyer and Marty was Anthony, my character's basically his only friend. He was his lifeline, really. Yeah, he was. Yeah. This is his, uh, like, yes, exactly, lifeline to the outside. This is lifeline to what's going on. This is, you know, the guy he shares jokes and quips with. What, you know, and this has been now for years because my character, when we meet him, has been in prison for like 15 years at this point. So how do we explore emotion in such a dire situation without having to say much to tell it. But that's our job as storytellers. I shouldn't have to tell you everything about a situation in order for you to understand it, you know? So I was given the opportunity based off of the words, based off the freedom I had on set. Um, I was able to do maximum work because I had maximum uh, uh, talent around me. I mean, Miss Alfred Woodard, it's it's Alfred Woodard, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And then you got Richard Schiff who's doing his thing. And then you get Danielle Brooks in there for a scene. And I don't want to, you know, spill the beans for everybody, but the scene between us, Danielle, I'll just say this, Danielle Brooks is a beast. And I can't wait to see the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that she's doing because she's an incredible talent, incredible actor. She, that scene yeah. when she comes to visit you? Yeah. I, I don't know her as an actor. <laughs> I don't know her. But you know and, it now. And I was like, yeah. that, that's what I thought. I was like, who is this? Yeah. She killed it. Yeah. I yeah, mean, man. that was an incredible performance because yeah. she started off. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like a, and the conversation they had, the conversation like, you guys had both of one you, of my favorite conversations in the whole movie. And, oh, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. go on, go yeah. on. No, I just, it's, it's one of those things, man, you find tricks to figure out. I think that with every bit of art that. I do. I'm having a conversation with the audience and I need to figure out what conversation I'm trying to have in order to execute. And when it came to that, I understand what that was. I think the closest that I've been after that in terms of a film was uh, One Night in Miami. Which I've heard about, and, but and I worked with Regina. She directed me on Regina's something. Regina's amazing, on, man. On, she was my scandal, the, the episode yeah. that kind of gets the most... Uh, Attention was Regina King oh, really? directed. Yeah, so I can't wait to. Yeah, man. I know you guys. Uh, She's incredible. You guys had an incredible reception for that film at, uh, I can't remember, Venice. was it Venice? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, so talk due to, to us COVID, about that. we couldn't go to. How is it the first time in yeah. Venice and I can't go because of some COVID? God yeah. dang it. Yeah. And then we got into And the movie's getting the like man, early Oscar buzz the movie and everything. Is, yeah. It's hitting every international film fest. And I'm like, I can't fly nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really? incredible. Y'all serious? This is crazy. Because um, as actors, I know as a young actor, I'm like, dang, I can't wait to go to film fest. And, you know, I've been to, uh, I've had films at TIFF. 
two years in a row, have not been able to go two years in a row because I'm working, you know, but also COVID. But um, champagne problems, I ain't mad at it. <laughs> but, you know, having to throw myself into the theory of the film and the character, you know, for me, One Night in Miami is a, is a fantastic conversation to really expose uh, how much we've been going through for so long. And Can you give teaches. everybody just a little brief? Oh, yeah, sure. Because it's, it's so, just a little one sentence, one night, two sentences. Um, one Night in Miami, it tells a story of, you know, four legends. There's Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, who all come together one night right after uh, Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston in 1964. Malcolm pulls the fellas into the room to have a conversation about what's going on, their social responsibility to their people, and, and how they can really affect change. And from this night, it's actually this night that really happened, but from this night we saw, you know, a lot of things that impacted and influenced our lives that we don't really we didn't know, you know, uh, then, but it's like, oh, this night happened. And then these are the results. I don't want to tell you what the results are. Go see the film. But it, it's really a great movie about relationship and brotherly love because you have these men who are titans in their communities at this time in their lives, but they understand the problems that afflict them. And they each have different experiences uh, and different points of view on what is going on. And like we were talking about before, they come to the table to have this discussion to really figure out where they meet in the middle and work together because they're already friends, but they're having a conversation about the grander, larger picture that they're a part of. And I think it's such an educational moment for right now. It can teach us how to have the conversation, how to debate and how to do so with positive uh, uh, results at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just really beautifully acted. Regina did a hell of a job. I'm so impressed with the work that she did and the team that she brought together for this. I mean, she is, uh, she's an insane director. I mean, she's a great actor she, as yeah. well, but that's the thing that helps so much because she understands those emotional points where, you know, you kind of drive somebody to this, this place in a subtle way without the actor doing too much or going overboard. She knows, you know, and, and um, I know she had directing experience as she, she's a prolific director in, 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 in the television space. And I know this is her first directorial debut in, in film. But to me, I'm like, she's already seasoned. Yeah. She, she's well seasoned. And, you know, I'll, she, she can direct me in anything. I don't care yeah. what it is. You know, I mean. Did you feel more responsibility playing not only a real historical figure, but mm -hmm. such an iconic, <laughs> you know, like um, was there, was there additional pressure, you know, just so, as I've seen, like with the whole Hawkman thing, it's like people have opinions of DC, <laughs> you know, it's like all that. Do you throw yeah. that all out or you just I, go you like, I'm going to do my version of. You, you have to, because you're playing the human being. You're yeah. not playing the idea of him. Yeah. I'm not playing the football star, the the television star. I mean, the film star. I'm not playing, uh, you know, this this idea of who Mr. Brown is. I'm playing Jim Brown, and I've in the biopics. I, I've, I was able to learn where I stand with that on biopics that I've done before because I think the first the first biopic that I did that was. 
of the the magnitude, the scale, uh, when it comes to the visual and the the, the popularity uh, and the you know of of it was uh, uh, straight out of Compton. You know, they were very um, influential and still are very very influential today when it comes to how music is shaped, what hip hop is, what it has been for yeah. some people, and you know the pressure was how do we get it right for the fans. The difference here is wasn't worried about fans of Mr. Brown. I was worried about the conversation they were having in the film. Yeah. That it, it speaks so loudly to what we're talking about in our community. How do we get the message right, the messaging right? But I worked through that, worked through um, uh, hidden figures, you know, uh, uh, playing a real person, um, Levi, Mr. Levi Jackson, the husband of Mary Jackson, um, Play, uh, did Brian Banks and Brian was there every day so that was a whole different experience and we built a real brotherhood I love Brian he's a great guy Yeah. but those experiences each taught me especially from watching the audience reception to, to the project um, how to adapt my sort of strategy for going at biopics and and as I said um, in the quote, you know, somebody quoted me beautifully. I guess I, I'm not sure I said those words, but you know what? No, I somebody, saw you saying about honesty. You know, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's yeah, I said it, yeah, I said it, yeah, I said it. Um, no, uh, it was a video of you. No, nah, I'm kidding, man. I'm, I'm just talking smack. <laughs> but 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 I that's that is a rule I live by. You got to be honest, man, because you know we're not playing the ideas of people who are these human beings in this moment where they're most vulnerable. And as an actor, that's what you're doing. You're, you're an architect of emotion, building up people, exposing stories, exposing their experience through a story to connect. And the job is like, like you were saying, you, you said if somebody's out there playing Hitler, you're not playing a, a demonized, you know, person. Um, I personally completely disagree with Hitler, but for somebody to play Hitler, if I was, if you're to play Hitler, you're not playing your disagreement. You're not playing your judgment of the character. You're right. playing a person. If you're playing a villain, so to speak, you're not playing somebody who's a villain or makes bad choices. You're somebody. You're playing somebody who makes choices that are natural to them. So figure out the nature of that. Yeah. Right. So, so that applies across the board when you're playing. You know, if you're playing a basketball, so well, what is a basketball player like? And what is a basketball player like? Nah, what is a person like? He happens to play ball. This is his talent. I say, okay, cool. But what is this person like? Yeah. You know? And when you remove the pretense of playing a thing as opposed to constructing a human being, you remove the pretense of fallacy. You throw all the fakeness out. So then your choices can be honest because this is who this human being is in this moment. Yeah. It is interesting. You've played so many real life and, and it's got to be a yeah. trip to play a guy who's actually on set with you. I yeah. That's got to be. It was it was probably like, for better was, and for worse. I mean, it's probably got to be great because you yeah. can just observe him all day and, and yeah. take things from his essence that might just. You're cheating, seep, seep cheating on a test, your, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, you know what you said? I'm going to, I'm like looking for ways to segue here because I got so much ground to cover, yeah. but you said something about, you know, uh, when you're designing as an architect, you're kind of designing this, um, mm. this role, uh, and we got to talk about something that I learned about you recently, 
on set just kind of randomly. I happened <laughs> to see your portfolio, which is amazing. It was like a mad scientist. You're like yeah. Leonardo <laughs> yeah. da Vinci. Yeah. And you had all these sketches. And I was like, what is that? And yeah. it was all of these watches. So yes. I have since learned, and uh, congratulations, that you Thank were you. recently appointed to the whole Hur- I don't even, I mean, <laughs> Horological yeah. Society of New York's Board of Trustees. Yes. And, and this is cool. I, th- I did find this quote. This was in print, so hopefully you really said it. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a poor little kid, I was inspired by engineering, and it pushed me to pursue my dreams. Mm-hmm. I want my company to inspire others who may not have the same means to use their minds to achieve what they want and believe in themselves to accomplish a seemingly impossible feat. Yes. I think that's awesome. I think mm-hmm. when I learned this about you, um, it just, just being honest, just made me like you more. I Thank was you, like, man. I love, and I think I said that to you right in the moment. I was like, I love that this guy is, you know, one of the leads on this show, he's got all of this stuff. And like, here he is. I'm like looking at this little thing when we were, we were in between scenes or something and, and you got this set incredible day. and you're just sketching and, yeah. and it's it, in talking to you now, it's all starting to like come together more of this incredible drive you have. But like the, the, the thing that I loved is just this passion. Mm-hmm. It's not as, Sometimes you get with actors where there's something that the optics are good. Oh, it would look cool if I was into watches. Like that's not at all what <laughs> nah. it is. It's like a, it's almost like nah. a hidden thing that you have. Yeah. It's now become exposed. But talk to me a little bit about your fascination with watchmaking, with yeah. watches. Does it have anything? Is it all the engineering of the actual machine, or mm-hmm. is it also to do with a fascination with time and all of that? Like, what, this is no, this. Um, I'll take you back, man. I wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to be anything with engineer in the title as a child because uh, people always assumed that I was not going to use my mind to get by. You know, my mom is the one who's always like, look, learn as much as you can like they can take anything away from you except for what you know is what she told me so education was our way out of poverty education was our key and it was it was a key to defining our life so i always wanted to just be an engineer of some sort right um biochemical engineer at first and uh architect i started drafting blueprints at 12 interned in an architecture firm from 13 to 15 years old um I started college at 14 and knocked out a bunch of years of prerequisites and then eventually got to uh, Art Center College of Design when I was like 18 or 19. Hang on. You started yeah. college at 14? I told you education was the key, bro. My mom was not playing. I was 14. And my brother was 15. We started college at the same time. Because you were both actors, did you homeschool or how did you get, how did you? Yeah. So we uh, start. I think I started homeschooling. I went to public school up until I was like, uh, like fourth grade. And then we started homeschooling. But mom was the teacher. Um, we did school throughout the summer. It wasn't like uh, 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 a, a sweatshop in there. I mean, we, we did, you know, our summer classes and all that. And then we went and, you know, we had great summers playing and all that. But every time we went back to school, school wasn't adequate enough to keep up with us. They would... Um, send me home and, and tell my mom, like, can you send him to school with a book? And she's like, y'all to school, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, we started homeschooling because my brother and I got into a lot of fights. We were in Jersey. It was rough. And sometimes the kids would get at us just because uh, 
we were in a town that was fairly racist and then also uh the acting stuff you know kids were jealous about that so they got into a lot of fights um so so yeah that's how college at 14 and 15 my sister who's 10 years younger than me she's the genius she started ucla at 16 and she graduated in three years at 19 Oh yeah! Wow! Yeah, man. And, and what does she do now? Did she just graduate, or is she? No, nah, she's twenty four. She 20. works in the gym and diamond industry. She's a visual diamond specialist. Um, she's currently finishing her curriculum at the GIA, Gemological Institute of America, and she's got some things working there. So um, she keeps me inspired and moving on because both of our worlds, my world of horology, her world of gemology, sort of cross over a little bit. Yeah, you put some I diamonds on those watches. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, um, that's that's my little mini me. That's my homie, man. I mean, I, I got the greatest siblings I, a man could ask for. My brother's my my ace, and so is my sister. Um, and, and are you and your brother? It sounds like you're tight. Yeah, I would imagine just like with uh, couples that are both actors, I would mm-hmm. imagine that's probably kind of good sometimes, bad sometimes. Having a brother who's also an actor um, oh. probably. Yeah, I, I don't know. So how, my mom raised us without the, she she raised us without the concept of competition. Everybody asks us like, you know, you guys compete, and it's like, nah, we don't do that now. So every time somebody gets a job, we all get because it's like one win for the family. It's just one win, you know. And what's for him is for him. What's for me is for me. And that's how my mom raised us. And we support each other, you know, to the max. Right now, we're producing and writing a film. Um, that we uh, our, our team has acquired the rights to, and. Uh, you know, we're getting that done. Uh, he has a production company. I have mine. And we're just putting two heads together now that we're a little bit more established individually to get back to working together. Because we started off working together a lot, like Sesame Street, Showboat on Broadway, Die Hard with a Vengeance. We did a lot of work together. But um, How old were you when you were doing working on Broadway? I was nine. My brother was 10. That's crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, man. what was like, were you aware at that at that age that that was? I was aware we were doing something cool. I yeah. didn't understand the magnitude of Broadway. Yeah, I just knew that it was cool. How long of a run uh, was uh, that? They did Months? a two and a half year run. My brother did all two and a half years. Wow. I came in uh, and did a year and a half when I was old enough. Because wow. when I when at first when he first booked the job, I was like eight, seven or eight or something like that. So, um, but yeah, when I turned nine and slot opened up. My mom was like, hey, so uh, what about my other one? <laughs> <You know>? my, <laughs> and did, did you have like Jay. a dip at all? Because that's that's a pretty major achievement mm-hmm. at nine. But mm-hmm. then did you have a did you have like a transition period um, where it was like all of a sudden yeah. you're like, wait a second, I was on Broadway and nobody's hiring you. And it was like, well, you know, I, you know, after Broadway finished, uh, we moved out to L.A., to do more television and film. So it took us a minute to get the, uh, you know, we got some good guest star work out the gate and all that, but it took us a minute to really get um, going. And I know when I was 12, because we moved out when we were 10, when I was 12, I had booked my first pilot and I was like, oh, I'm about to be on TV. Like that was my main goal. And then we shot the pilot, they tested it nationally. And myself along with two other, or two or three other actors, my brother did the pilot with me. myself along with two or three other actors tested higher in popularity than the uh, lead actor of the show. So instead of uh, training the lead better, uh, they fired us. And it taught me about how the business saw me as to a degree contraband. I I didn't want to be 
just something to to pick up and remove off of a shelf. So that's why I started writing. My brother was writing, and then I started writing after him. But it taught me a lot about the way, just just you know, the the business, how the business is the business. And I was like, you know what, I got to fight for mine. I don't ever want to have to work for anybody again. So, you know, all of that pushed me to make certain decisions to be where I'm at today. I think I've been a little bit uh, lazy with some of my activity and growth, <laughs> you know, a little, uh, just a smidge lethargic. Um, you think so? Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm serious. You I mean, I could, lazy. Holy you know, God, I'm tired just talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Nah, man. Where just, are you lazy? Um, I mean, you got a watch company, you discipline. got a production company, you're the leader well, of the show, you just I'm, did another show. You're I'm going lazy through. with uh, my discipline and studies. Like with my watches, I can be far more proficient when it comes to studying my practical theory, my, you know, horology is a compilation of physics and chemistry and uh, metallurgy and micromechanical engineering. And all of these facets I have a uh, an awareness and, and a, a, you know, great base for when it comes to understanding. But like, instead of studying practical theory and then doing my thing. I kind of work backwards. I design crazy things and then I go figure out how to make it, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, and there's look but, as, as a student of architecture, like I started in architecture first and the rule is form follows function, right? Um, form has to have a practical use. So, you know, when you're making something, a tool for or a dwelling or a tool for, 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 um, you know, mechanical tool for a purpose, you know, in this purpose timekeeping. But for me, I believe the mechanics are the art. Uh, that's what sort of enthralled me about architect uh, about uh, horology in general. It was that it was architecture. It was art. It was also engineering. It took all of my loves and put it in the same house. So I kept pushing with that because I knew I wasn't going to be an architect. I would have had to quit acting and continue my tutelage for another eight years. Uh, horology allowed me to learn at my own pace, but at the end of the day, it still serviced my need for being in a scientific field um, and a creative field. It just housed everything. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was always about the gears, never so much about time or time telling. I believe time is uh, a fluid. Um, it's, it's still a theory, <laughs> you know, yeah. nothing that we own or control. It's a uh, time operates differently depending on the space you're in operates differently here than it does on Mars. You know, I think on Mars, I'd be about half my age because their years, their lunar cycle. So, you know, for, for me, time is an idea through which I execute my passion. Um, it's, it's, you know, for my company, I, I say it's not about telling time, simply about telling time. It's about how you tell time. How do you engage time? What does that experience with time telling give to you? I want you to experience the art. I want it to become an art form to you. So that's most important to me. And, you know, we always work towards perfecting the telling of time with our creations, our machinations. But at the end of the day, uh, the goal, the primary goal I want to shoot for is building an experience with the customer base because that's what built legacy with the product. I want you to pass it down. And, you know, I had this for this reason. And now my son and my daughter and whoever has it, you know, ages and ages and ages beyond, I want that shared experience to continue.
That's very cool. Cause I've, I've only had a brief period of my life where I even had a watch. Like I don't wear <laughs> a watch now. Yeah. So, so I, I like to hear, I'm more interested in the theory behind it and yeah. it makes me go. I, huh, I care. You, it, I don't, it's not that I don't care about telling time. I do care about telling time, but it's just about, again, you know, we, we buy our clothes and our cars and our, our houses are very specific. Our, our material possessions are a material language, right? The aesthetic speaks to a certain degree about what we're trying to say for the day, what we're trying to say for ourselves, where our minds are at in that space. And I want to contribute to the horological world and the world of art with my machinations, um, my history, my DNA, my culture, but a different experience with the idea. So when you think about it, there's the idea of it being a watch, but then there's also the idea of it being art. And then there's also the idea of it being an educational conduit for something more. But, you know, my, the, the construction of, 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 of or rather the pursuit of my brand, uh, which is a Hodge Atelier, um, it's not really for me. I'm building my brand mostly for my kids and my grandkids after me. You know, I hope they carry it along with them and, and maintain and build it to further succession, but it's not really for me. It's a legacy. That's, I yeah. like that. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm so impressed with it and, and uh, inspired by the fact that you're doing it. I mean, in some, you know, alter way, that's what this whole podcast is for me. It's Absolutely. Just, it's this thing that I, in the back of my mind, yeah. I always think like, you know, no matter what happens to me, mm-hmm. you know, we never know what each day brings. Yeah. My kids have hours and hours and hours of my advice, thoughts, perspectives on the and world right here. And and the book. That's yeah. pretty cool, man. And it's, it's, it is pretty cool. And then also backed by bringing people in that I'm like, mm. oh, listen to this guy. Right. <laughs> he's pretty cool. He did that. <laughs> well, you know, he guys talk how his he's, hot air for like, <laughs> you know, he, you know, it's, 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 yeah. uh, it's, so that's, I think that's probably, you know, if I were going to psychoanalyze myself and why, when I saw that, um, that portfolio of yours and just like happened to see it, yeah. why I was like, Oh, that's cool. I, I saw a kindred spirit and something that I'm not even particularly, yeah. I'm not particularly into watches, but yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't I the watches. Still got the book with me right here. It's, 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 I was going to break it out and actually sketch while we were talking. Cause sometimes I do that, but oh, I was really? like, nah, let me, it's, yeah, a, you it's, know an, it's an addiction. My, my, uh, my mic stands are nah. in the, yeah. the, the guy who I, I was subletting from the last time we were here pre-COVID still has my mic stand. Yeah. So here we are holding our mics. Yeah, no, sketching is is really quite an addiction for me, man. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing. It's therapeutic. This this thing that I had seen online and then you referenced it earlier. You said you, online it said homeless in Brooklyn. You said you were living out of a car. I mean, yeah. that's that's extreme. That's I extreme. Think, what what well, exactly did that they look like? They got the uh they might have got the facts wrong. I think we were homeless in like in, in Jersey. Oh, okay. Maybe was it North Carolina? I don't know. Um but but yeah, we so yeah, we we were. I mean, uh primarily raised by my well, I was I was I was fully raised by my mom. Uh and uh Is your is your dad Still alive. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive, yeah. And I have a great relationship with my father. He wasn't um, as present in my life when I was a child. And, 
you know, through the teenage years, we were able to find our relationship and and repair it. And we have a beautiful relationship right now. And I love it. I'm really grateful for it. You know, my father's an amazing man, just at a different place um, in his life back then than he is now. But he's an amazing man. You know, I still learn from him today. Um, but my mom, she is uh, my source of strength and survival. And uh, I just, I think I said this recently and this is kind of how I put it my mom is my strength and and my father is my wisdom my sister is my heart and my brother is my courage um because a lot of things that I got into was just because I saw he was able to do it so I was like I'm gonna do it but my mom is a she's really a warrior uh both my parents they met in the marines in, in Japan they came back to the states to have my brother and I. I was born in North Carolina on the base out there and then we moved from there to uh, Kaneohe in Oahu, Hawaii. And then uh, from Hawaii, we came to Jersey to relocate because my brother kept telling my mom, I want to be in the box. And the box was the TV. He was trying to be in the Cosby show. So came here. Uh, we had some rough times. And, and through our life, you know, things were rough up and down. There was a time, I mean, we've been homeless uh, three different times. There was a time we were living in our car, yes. But my brother and I didn't know it. We just knew that uh, this is what the reality was. My mom always saw fit to create the best environment for us and give us the greatest childhood. In fact, to a point where, you know, in the car, I thought we were just like on a super long road trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what what, I, mean? I mean, what did that look like day to day? Were you guys like, um, were you a, a, in one area where you were going to school still or was yeah, it? I mean, we're still going to school. Um, you know, like in the car, she like my brother and I would sleep in the back seat, and she would sleep on top of us, so she can keep us warm in the winter, so we didn't catch like pneumonia. So, uh, but yeah, she made it work. She made it work. I know. I, I there was one time she went to a shelter, and they were like, "Nah, don't bring your kids in here because it was too rough, it was dangerous." Yeah, because yeah. of what they do sometimes in those shelters. So, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a car. You know. Um, but I can't imagine what she, a young mom, two kids, was how she figured it out back then. But she did, you know, and, and she's incredible. She got us to this point. Like, I just wish she could see herself the way we see her, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because we're like, Ma, like, you know, you're a gladiator for real. <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody in the world sees it. Everybody who meets you sees it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, uh you know, life was the way it was supposed to be. And again, it all shaped up how I see things and I wouldn't change it. I love my, my beginnings, but it does teach you, it shapes up how you fight for yourself and how you treat other people, how you fight for other people, how you allow people to treat you, which I'm still learning, you know, uh, in, at this stage in my life. I'm at the best place I can be in my career. I'm at the best place I have been in terms of my relationship with myself, learning who I am with myself and what I want to do and where I want to go, how I want to do it, how to exercise my choice and my options because I never really felt like I had choice before. I mean, look, when you do come from that reality, the thought process is that I'm not trying to go back. So sometimes you operate in fear. Yeah. Right. I make certain choices. Or I'm going to take this job to do. And, you know, sometimes you might not 
feel the freedom to move your money around the way it should be because we're not taught financial literacy at a young age, which is stupid to me. I think that school should implement economics, macro and microeconomics at like at, at, at a grade school level. You know, teach kids the moment kids start understanding money, spending money, teach them what it is, you know, so they're coming to college with debt. Like I started my first macroeconomics class. I was 15 years old. Fortunately, I was in college, but it's like, I got to wait to college for this. Yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. You know, teach me about taxes. Teach me about debt. Teach me about investing at a much younger age. Warren Buffett started reading investment books when he was like eight or something like that. Like that makes sense. Yeah. So anywho, my mom did that. School didn't. My mom did. But the reality was, okay, I got mouths to feed. And, you know, if I spend this too much here, spend this too much here, I'm not the only person who's going to see consequences if at the end of the day I didn't spend all my money, right? So I, I had to be financially literate and frugal from a very young age, which I'm grateful for now in terms of, like with my watch company, I've been working in, as, as a designer and trying to hustle up designs and work with companies and all that for years. Like I started when I was 19 designing watches and I started my own brand when I was like 24, 25. All right. It never happened then because it gave me all that time to figure out my brand DNA, learn who and what I am and what I'm contributing every year. I'm work, I mean, every day I'm working on watches and figuring out, but because of financial literacy, I was finally at a point in my career where I earned enough to invest in myself all. At first, I was trying to just look for investment and, and you know, from VCs or, you know, anybody who wanted to come and partner with me. And at the end of the day, I still wanted my brand to be my vision. I still wanted to make sure that the, the DNA was there. And the universe saw fit to put it in the right context where I could achieve what I wanted. I just had to wait until I was ready. So I was able to invest and people don't realize that when it comes to making a watch, they're like, Oh, you know, it's, you know, just put it out there. I mean, how much does it cost? And, you know, it costs, you know, you know, a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. I'm like, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop a watch. And I'm talking in the space that I work in with, which, you know, I work in the luxury space, haute lingerie. I'm talking about, a different level of manufacturing, um, fine-tuned exploration into the the into the ways that we can exp- sort of elevate and 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 display the mechanics. What we what can we achieve and accomplish with new mechanical compositions? When it comes to the movement, how can we create new things? So it's going to take a huge effort. It takes masters at their game to actually achieve these things. It takes a lot of money. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to buy my, my, I'm going to invest in, you know, but I was able to do that because of, of a different sort of mentality. So I'm, you know, roundabout way talking about a whole bunch, but um, I still coming from that environment, I didn't exercise a lot of choice early. Like in my 20s, I never took a vacation of like just myself. You know, I mean, like like with an ex, you know, I was in a relationship with an ex and, and she wanted to go to Mexico. So, you know, we went to Mexico. I had like a free trip to Mexico. I right. won't pay for it. <laughs> so right, I had right. a free trip. So I'm like, we're going to get there. I just had to get the flight. And, you know, but I was so tight with money. Like I, I didn't, I, I invested very 
um, conservatively. I uh, should probably take more risk. I get, still got time to take risk and I'm still taking risk. But all the money that I saved up was really saving up to get to this watch manufacturing dream. So it's not wasted effort, you know, it's no, just you're investing in different, yourself, different uh, priorities. But um, and the, what about yeah. choice? It sounds like as an actor. And I think I saw, you know, you said something online that I saw about saying no to things and. You, you're, especially in the recent last couple of years, Mm -hmm. these, the, the, the projects that you're doing have Mm -hmm. prestige, you know, they're, they're, and they're about something. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little, just a little bit about that. You know, like the way you said it, you had no choice. Now Mm -hmm. you have choice, which everybody wants, but that comes with a whole new responsibility because you could choose wrong, you know? So so how have you, how have you negotiated it? Because you've navigated it very well. So back to the, the theory of 10,000 no's, I, I've always said that what works against me today will eventually work for me. So if something goes against me, I can't get mad. I just need to learn how to use it. Those 10,000 no's that are coming at me today, eventually I'm going to be in the position to say no. No is your greatest power in any aspect of business. No, because you can verify it and back it up with skill set and value that you add to anything. Um, Not no just for ego or to be frivolous, right? So But in the industry, when you're coming up, sometimes there's a a thought process of doing what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. And when I was coming up there were like in in my teenage years, there were many opportunities I said no to just because they were thugs. And it was always like either a thug or an athlete. And I'm like, I mean, that's all well and good, but that's not the only thing we can be. So I told my agents at the time, I'm not doing this. You know, there has to be a reason if there's a real story behind a conflicted person who's choosing this lifestyle because that's all there is. And we get to explore that. Sure. That's makes sense. But if it's about showing a thug just because that's how the only way that you see black people, I'm not doing it. It doesn't mean I'm not, you know, so in making that decision, there are some times where you like, I can't eat. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's like, I've been here before. I remember we were renting a place, uh, it was a duplex and we had a lemon tree in the back and we ain't had no, uh, I think I was like 12 or 13, something like that. It's like, you know, I ain't had money for juice. And it's like, fine. We got water. We had sugar in the cabinet. Man, we had the best lemonade ever. We picked some of them lemons <laughs> yeah. or we would go around the neighborhood and pick the fruit off the other people's trees. Sorry for stealing, but y'all ain't going to miss it. Girls back. Chill out. Um, but we would do that. You know what I mean? Um, I remember during the writer's strike, I was like 18. My brother was 19. And we were sitting there at uh, pickup sticks, I believe. And we were trying to figure out all we had enough money for was either get a meal or get gas to go home. And we had lived like in Castaic, which is way far away from like uh, Studio City of the Valley. Um, and we were just, we sat there and laughed about it, man. It was just hilarious because we're like, one of these days, this ain't going to be nothing. So anyway, you know, those no's will cost you um, at times, but mm, you have to curate your, your, your career because the thing that you say yes to might be the thing that holds you back. And if you just hold on for a bit, because you got to walk in your truth and know what it is you want to do. 
um, you, you, that, that thing is coming. It's going to be on its way. But now it is a different space. I can afford to say no to certain things because I do have other th- projects going on. That's not the case for everybody. It's not the reality for everybody. So look, get your hustle up, but make sure that whatever choices you make, you can sleep at night and you can be okay. Um, you know, I, I, I recently also said, and, uh, talking to someone, um, I, I don't work for money. I negotiate for money. I work for me and that's how I would like to keep it for the rest of my career. I don't aim to represent people or I I don't set out to be a an example or a role model in any sense of the word not my job but I understand that people sort of watch me and some people adapt me in their minds as that you know and I speak my truth I I I live my truth and that's what I want to do but also with the understanding that people are watching And I want to make sure that whatever I do, I can be proud of and I can hold my head up high and I can speak on because, you know, I, I got to sleep at night. I'm going to ask you three final questions. You've kind of answered them already. We we, we kind of like, (laughs) we did a, we did a technique of just going so long. We got, we got all the answers. You're going to have to break this up. It's like three parts. But this is, these are the the three questions. Yeah. The word no Mm -hmm. means what to you? Um, the word no to me, I kind of take it as a challenge, to be honest. Um, give it, of course, it depends on what space you're in. I'm talking about professionally, like, yeah, yeah. not personally. If somebody says no, no is no, god dang it. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you said no, but you meant yes. No, I meant no. Um, I can't wait for somebody to tell me no. I cannot wait. Oh, here's my idea. I want to build this. I want to try this. I want to, you know, this company and I want to do this show. I cannot wait for somebody to tell me no because it just motivates the hell out of me. It is such a motivator because my whole life people have been telling me no and I've always been proving them wrong. And it's a part of my ego. It does feed the ego a bit. That is the most enjoyable way to... to it's, it's not the most. It's a part of what makes succeeding enjoyable. When people count you out and not proving to them that they're wrong, proving to myself that I'm right, there's a difference. I'm not giving you the power to, I'm going to show you and da, 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 da. But if you tell me no, in my mind, that's the universe challenging me to say, do you really want this? How bad do you want this? I'm going to line up 15 people in your path that say no. And every time they say no, do you tell yourself that you still believe in this dream? Do you actually want this dream or are you going to believe these naysayers? It's not about them. It's never about them. It's about the universe challenging you and your perspective to see how much you believe in yourself. That's what no means to me. Boom. That's a great answer. That is a great, because you get all kinds of answers and they all overlap, but that explanation of it, that it's not about them, 
It's about, about you. you. I agree. I love it. Thanks. And it's also honest because there is a little bit of an ego. There is yeah. a little bit of a... Oh, that like, ego it's, hits. It's a fuel. It's, it's a fuel. It hits you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Next question. Yeah. Favorite mantra. And that could be... I usually ask, like, do you have a go-to mantra when hmm. things go sideways? Uh, so that's that's kind of it. But if you have, if it's not just when things go sideways, if there's some mantra that you kind of live by, whether um, you even realize it or not. I mean, I have a few things, a few sayings that I live by for certain. I think in terms of a mantra, I haven't figured it out yet because I'm not disciplined enough to meditate. No, I don't, mean, no I don't mean a mantra. I, don't, I actually don't. I don't have a mantra but, like that. No, I, I, I mean think, more of like a, is there, you know, for, like you'll hear Oprah yeah. say, this too shall pass. You well, know, for anything. me, at, at the end of the day, I say, you know, it, it's all going to be okay. And it's simple, but... I think back to all the times that my, again, my needs have been met. Um, I got to the place where now I have the opportunity of responsibility, right? Meaning that I got work to do. Let me go do this work. But when I'm worried about something, hey, is it going to get done? Da, 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 da. If it gets done or doesn't get done, you know, if it's out of my control, as long as I've done all the work that I can do, that's it. As long as I've done all the work to the best level that I can do, that's it. Like I tell um, actors who, when, when they going out for jobs, I stopped auditioning to get the job years ago because there was a time where I hated auditioning. And uh, an associate, a friend of mine, she's like, look, you need to figure out how to love it again. You know, because I need to figure out what to love. Honestly, I couldn't stand it because going in there trying to prove people that they got 50 million different ideas. And, you know, so I said, you know, I'm not going in there to get the job. I'm not going in there to impress him. I'm going in there to impress myself. As long as I walk out of that audition knowing that I did the job I wanted to do for me, I'm fine. And I say, it's okay. So whatever happens that's out of my control, I'm still going to be okay. Whether I get the job or not, I'm going to be okay. And that's what I have to believe. And that's what I have to push power into. I have to feed that faith rather than, dang, if I didn't get the job, could I have done better? Could I have done better? I don't need to ask myself that because I know that I came in there with that already. That's the responsibility you have to yourself. Show up ready at all times and everything is going to be okay. It's going to work out. Last one. Yep. And I have a feeling I know the answer, but I'm going to mm. ask it anyway. <laughs> if you could give your younger self advice, when would you intervene to give the advice? <laughs> and what would the advice be? I would find myself at 10 years old and I would say, it's going to be okay. But um, don't, don't, uh, ah, that's a hard one. Uh, I was going to say, Keep your happiness. But man, like when I was 18, my mom told me happiness was a choice because I was dealing with some stuff, dealing with some depression, going through some rough times and I'd lost it. Um, and she was just, you know, trying to guide me like, baby, look, and ain't got to be this hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, happiness is a choice. I didn't know. I'm 34. I didn't know what happiness was until I was 30. I didn't choose happiness until I was 30 because you have to be vulnerable. And you have to be open. And uh, it, it is a scary place to be when 
to be happy means to let go of a lot of other things that you feel define who you are and step into this new space where you're learning all these new things about yourself, right? So uh, I don't know, my journey, I love who I am now and how I've gotten here. So, I, But I would tell my little 10-year-old self, um, you know, fight for your happiness and everything is going to, it's all going to be okay. That's beautiful. I was going to say, and what a lot of people will say, and I say it myself, is... Mm. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade in what I went through, which is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, I wouldn't I trade in what because that's how it. I yeah. learned everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I figured you'd say that because you know, because of all, all that you've gone through has made you who you are. Exactly. But um, I, I got, I got to just, I got to thank you, Aldis Hodge. One, I know how busy you are right now on our show. Not only that, everything <laughs> else you have going everything, on, which yeah. you've spoken about. To not only sit down, I think if you're listening, I don't know if you'll get this full conversation, but I got to tell you right now, the clock is telling me at two and a half hours, we've been sitting here <laughs> talking and it's been awesome. I love it. You know, we'll decide later how much if we give you the whole thing, but I hope you feel as, as, uh, privilege as I do to just ha to hear this conversation. I, lo I really appreciate well, your honesty, you. your, your uh, thoughtfulness and um, intelligence on all these different topics. Thank you, brother. Well, I appreciate you bringing me on, man. I like the concept. I, I love, I love what this is about, man. And I just appreciate you, man. You're dope. I'm glad we're working together again. Um, looking forward to hopefully working more. Hopefully there's a vaccine it? and we keep going through. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, I, <laughs> but, I've, I've learned to not, uh, you know, I just, I, I go like, all right, let's see. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, let's keep yeah. going. Keep it rolling. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. man. But this is cool. And I appreciate you having me on, brother. Thank, Thank you. you so much. My pleasure. My Indeed. honor. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right, folks, time for the top three takeaways. For those of you that are new, this is what we do. Number one, I think this is important for actors to remember when they're taking on a role, but it also applies beyond that. When I asked Aldis about his role in the film Clemency and telling him that I loved his performance because a lot of it was not fancy monologues or quippy dialogue. It was his essence, his, his emotion, his inner life that was emanating from within that drew me to him. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes actions and just being present is more powerful than finding the right words. And you don't have to say much to be much. Number two, our job as actors is not to just play the facade of our characters. Our job is to get inside their skin and defend their point of view from a place of truth without judging them. And in life, I think we could all stand to do less judging and less assuming that we know who someone is before we really get to know them. Because otherwise, we're just treating them based upon our idea of who they are rather than basing it upon them as a truly complex individual, which is what we all are. You got to be honest, man, because, you know, we're not playing the ideas of people. Who are these human beings in this moment where they're most vulnerable? And as an actor, that's what you're doing. You're, you're an architect of emotion. And number three, at the end of the day, it's your career, your life, your relationship. No one else has to live your life, just you. And if you don't know what it is you want specifically, you're going to spend a lot of time doing things that don't necessarily fill your bucket. 
You got to say no to many things in order to say yes to the things that really matter to you. You are the captain of your ship, no one else. You have to curate your, your, your career because the thing that you say yes to might be the thing that holds you back. And if you just hold on for a bit, because you got to walk in your truth and know what it is you want to do, um, you, you, that, that thing is coming. It's going to be on its way. I cannot thank Aldous Hodge enough. Sitting down with him produced not one, but two episodes of content that I feel are very informative and important for people to be listening to right now. A reminder to tune in for our conversation on race next week. I hope you agree. If you do, please share this episode with the people in your life that you think will benefit from hearing it for the sake of the show so it can play in more eardrums and have more of an impact. Please consider leaving a review, make it a five-star review, that would help, and take a screenshot of it on your phone, post it to your social media, just get the word out. It's not so much about us being ranked higher, it's about helping people see things a little bit differently. We appreciate it. You can connect with us at 10,000knows.com, get added to our mailing list. We've got a newsletter that comes out every Monday. I told you about the book that just came out, so there's a link to that at 10,000knows.com as well. That's 10000 nos.com and uh, it's been getting a lot of love so thanks to you who have already done that and don't forget to tune in for our brief little monday morsels to kick off your week we'll see you soon 